0: All right, well, it's such dang! It's such an honor to be here and be with you today uh, after you came off of a long Easter break. Um, I love that song, The Cross Has a Final Word. There's a story being told about you in heaven today, and it's a story that you've already lived, and some of it you have not lived yet. The cross has a final word, and some of us are out here living fake news when it comes to our life. We're believing a false narrative when it comes to our calling. And and let me let me just start by saying this. I'm not here to talk to you about your calling again like you hear all the time. I'm here to talk to you about your personal process. I'm here to talk to you about your next step. I'm here to talk to you about your next step that has nothing to do with the position that you occupy and everything to do with the God that you submit to in your life. Because without positions, without offices, without desks, without jobs, you are still called to a process in your life. The book of Proverbs says this, it says that man will make his plans, but God ordains his steps. And you have to hear me today, you might be about your plans, but God is all about your next step. He's all about your personal process. He's not looking to accomplish this outcome that you've put out on social media that you hope to fulfill someday, and that's why you're here. But he's very much focused on who you are to him and who you are as a son, and who you are as a daughter. And there's so many times in our life that we live as a shadow of what God created us to be. And I'm not speaking to people who are about to go in ministry. I'm speaking to men and women that are called by God to live it today. Not to mail it in, but to step up and live every single day as though you're called, whether you have a title or not. Because that's honestly the story of my life. The story of my life is submitting to God to every step he had in my life. And one of the hardest steps was after I graduated high school, being shelved for eight years as God worked on me. As I saw friends go to college, graduate from college, go into ministry, and burn out from ministry before I ever went back to finish, God shelved me, and he said this, Terry, I'm going to call you to a time of waiting, and I'm going to call you to a time of refining. The baggage that you stepped into this with won't be the baggage you have at the end of the season, but all I'm calling you to do is be obedient to the next step that I have for your life. And for eight years, for eight years, I, every, every weekend, I wrote a sermon for people who would never hear it. I wrote messages for people that I would never stand in front of and deliver. Why? Because God called me today and not when I had a title. And I had to make a decision to step up and not to allow my fears to dictate the person that I was. I don't ever want an office or a title to determine my spiritual authority. I want my obedience to God to determine my spiritual authority. Amen? Come on. Come on. And so today I'm talking to you as a person who follows Jesus Christ. Because we can't give in to those fears that God that that, that the world tells us to give into. We can't listen to the expectations of others if we're not listening first to the expectations of heaven. You know, one of the greatest fears, and I know it sounds silly, but one of the greatest fears that I've ever had to overcome was a fear of the ocean. How many of you were there with me being in the deep ocean where you can't see anything? You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys are too hard, but you're nodding at me. I see you. Okay? It's absolutely scary. My wife and I went to Maui on our honeymoon, and, uh, and I was so excited to go snorkeling in, like, five feet of water. That was, like, my dream. Five feet of water, and I was going to go back. So my wife and I, we go down to the beach. And uh, we get our snorkeling gear. I take my shirt off. My arms are out here. She's like, what's wrong with your arms? I'm like, nothing, just savage. So I, I put on the snorkeling gear. If you know Christina, you know what I'm saying. I put on my snorkeling gear, and I start swimming out. But she, and I'm holding hands because we're in love, and we're holding hands. We're just married, and we're snorkeling, and we're looking at the fish. But pretty soon, I can't see the bottom, okay? And, and you th- the, the ocean is the most ghetto place on the planet, okay? Sharks do bite-bys, and that's all they do. They don't even eat people. They just bite them and lead them to bleed. And so I'm sitting there, and we go out 100 yards into the ocean, a length of a football field around this coral reef, and I am freaking out. I'm like, some schmuck that gets married gets eaten by a shark, and now he's, a, he's made his wife a widow, you know? And so we finally turn the corner, and we're heading back towards shore, and my man card starts coming back. I'm like, okay, I got this. And my wife and I are holding hands, and with snorkels, you got to look down so the two can stick out of the water, and I feel my wife squeeze my hand, and I'm like, oh, I love you too, baby. Squeeze, squeeze. And we swim a little more, and she squeezes hard. I'm like, I really love you too, And she starts pulling on my arm. I'm like, what's going on? And she points out and I look out and all I see is this big, black, massive object in the water with like red eyes. And immediately I grab my wife and I put her in front of me and I start flailing and kicking. And the sea turtle that's in front of me, he rears up and he starts flapping just like this. And as he's flapping, we're like three feet from each other, just slap fighting. And he goes around and his flipper hits my butt and I go. And my wife is dying when we get into shore. I'm like, baby, here's my man card right there. It was the worst thing ever. It was the worst thing ever. So later, later on that week, we go driving around, and, and I said, you know what, let's just go see how much properties are worth here in Maui. So we go, and it's like, this property's $500,000, this property's a $1 million, this property's $2 million, and I begin to ask myself that night, I'm like, hey, I wonder what the most valuable piece of property on earth is. And so I go online, and I'm doing a search, and I find this blog by Todd Henry, and in it he says this, that the most valuable piece of property in the world isn't the oil fields in Dubai or the property that that Disney World sits on. No, the most valuable piece of property in the world is a graveyard, where all the unwritten poems and unwritten songs are buried, where all the unrealized dreams haven't come to pass. That's the most valuable piece of property in the world, And as I talk to you today about overcoming your fears and breaking your personal ceiling and actually just growing in God for the sake of growing in God and not getting a job, but saying, Jesus, I want more of you and I want to grow in your spiritual authority. I have to understand that potential has no business staying inside of me so that I'm buried with it. I don't want my potential to be underground. I, don't, I hate it when people say, you got a lot of potential. All that says to me is, you got a lot of something that you haven't used yet. And I want to die empty. I want to die having poured out everything that God has done in my life. I don't care how talented you are. If Kobe Bryant never picked up a basketball, it doesn't matter how great of potential he had, it still wouldn't have mattered. He would have been buried with it. If Michelangelo would have never picked up the paintbrush, not the Ninja Turtle, the painter, and painted the Sistine Chapel, and he never picked one up, he would have died with that potential potential. potential in him. And I don't want to get to heaven and not get a well-done, good, and faithful servant because I wasn't obedient to what God has instilled in me. I believe so many times we say to God, God, give me blessings, give me talents, give me gifts, equip me. And God does, and we don't believe we're good enough for it, so we die with it inside of us. And God is saying, you have got to unleash that potential. You have to live that out on a day-to-day basis, whether people see you or not. Whether your social media reflects it or not. You have to do this because I have called you. And if I call you to somewhere and it's not successful by world standards, but it is by the story that heaven is telling about you, that's what I find good and pleasing to me, God says. So coming off of Easter, saying the cross has a final word, saying this is what our heart beats for, we have to be willing to step out and break our personal limitations. You see, if God is going to call you there, he's going to sustain you there no matter where God calls you, no matter what he does in your life, no matter what he calls you to, he will always sustain you in that place because God is not going to call you somewhere to leave you somewhere. He's going to call you somewhere to grow you somewhere. And if you might be in a place today to where you're saying, I'm in a difficult place, place, I'm doubting, I'm questioning, God knew you would be there and he still lets you go there. That means he's cool with it and he's going to grow you in that place. But I got to be willing to let step out. I got to be willing to unleash some of that potential that God has put inside of me. If I'm going to see fully what I could do, If I could fully implement the ministry that God has put in my heart. You see, God loves you just as you are, but you gotta understand that He's not content with leaving you there. I'm gonna say that again God loves you just as you are, but He is not content with simply leaving you there. God will always challenge you to take the next step. God always places His vision above your personal ceiling. All right? He's not gonna accommodate your lack of faith by putting His vision in the same room as you. He's going to always put it above your personal ceiling so that you have to get breakthrough to get it. Because every time you hit your head on that ceiling of the room that you're in, of the season that you're in, it's going to get uncomfortable and it's going to hurt. But every time you do, there's less of you and more of Jesus. And once that happens in your life, you get breakthrough and you get that next step. And some of us stay in a I I mean, I talk to pastors all over the country that are in a low level of ministry because they accepted the ceiling above them as fact and as truth. And if I serve an unlimited God, and his DNA goes, moves through my spirit, then I am also unlimited until I breathe my last. And I have to live that way every single day, because if I don't believe that, what am I believing? What am I believing in my life? And so God will always place his vision above your personal ceiling, and the problem is too many people have accepted that personal ceiling as just my context, or my pastor doesn't understand me, or I live in this city, or I live in this town. You know what? God could use you anywhere if you're willing to break through that personal ceiling. Because ministries grow or don't grow, not because of the context, but because of the ability or inability of the people that lead them. And if you're willing to break through that, God will move in your life. But you have to be willing to step forward. And see, that's what I do. My ministry at River Valley is to leaders. I get to oversee 10 youth pastors across eight campuses, and not so much develop their ministries, but develop them. Because anytime there's a hiccup in ministry, it has to do with personal process or a lack of submitting to that personal process. And so I have to get in their lives, I have to talk to them, I have to find where the hang-up is, and then I walk with them to help them break their personal ceilings. And it's so amazing because when they do, and they can go to the next step, and I do this with people all over the country, when they hit that next step, it revolutionizes their ministry and their families and their walks with God. They finally start to believe that story that heaven has been telling about them for so long. They just didn't know how to get there. And you might be in this place where you simply don't know how to get there, where you have hit your head on your personal ceiling way too much. And all you can do is you can see the marks on the ceiling from how many times you've hit your head trying to jump and break through that. But I'll tell you this. The only way to break through is to not forget what Jesus has said about you and to submit to God's process. Because you can't inherit God's plan until you submit to his process. Period. Ever. There's no shortcut. You have to break through that personal ceiling and stop believing the lie that you might have been believing in your life. I think I remember this PlayStation commercial came out a while ago, and it was talking about how fleas are trained. I'm sure some of you have heard the story or have seen it. But scientists went and they tried to discover a way to train fleas because fleas have crazy jumping power. If a human being could jump like a flea, they could jump 900 feet in the air. I mean, it's just crazy jumping power. So what these scientists did is they took all these fleas and they poured them into a jar and they put a lid on this jar. And these fleas with this jumping power kept jumping and hitting their head on the lid of the jar. Just boom, 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 boom. Until pretty soon, none of them jumped and hit their head and they just jumped to a level just below the ceiling and stayed there. And then what happened is the scientists unscrewed the lid, they poured out the fleas, and the fleas only jumped as high as the lid. That was it. And here's the crazy thing. They passed those limitations on to their offspring. Meaning something with the inherent power to jump higher believed the lives of the generation that came before it. Or believe the lies of people above it. Or believe the lies of the world around it. Until pretty soon, it's generation after generation after generation of potential to jump high is jumping at a low level because of what the first generation taught it. And somewhere along the line, you bought that lie. It might not be a parent, it might not be a professor, it might not be a pastor, it just might be you hearing the voice of the enemy. But they accepted that lie and they jumped and they never jumped any higher again you have to understand that the greatest lie that the devil can ever tell you is that you can't grow any higher than the ceiling above you. And the devil does the same thing. He puts something in your life that limits your God-given ability, and then he tricks you into believing that limit. And then he takes the limits away so that even if you see you don't have a ceiling above you, you'll still be afraid to try and would rather believe the lie that you can't jump any higher. But you have to understand that submitting to God's process is the key to actually pulling that potential out of you. There was one flea in the study that they labeled as flea zero. And this sucker didn't get the memo. Like, he didn't get it. Because every time they put him in a a jar and they poured him out, he just kept jumping as high as he did before they put him in the jar. Like, something's wrong with him. So they put him in another jar full of fleas that accepted their limits and said, maybe the ones that have already accepted their limits will get him to accept his limits. And he, they poured him out, and he jumped even higher. And they said, well, let's see what happens. So they take flea zero, and they introduce him to a group of fleas that already accepted their limits and passed on those limits, and he had, they introduced flea zero to them. And the whole group of fleas within the span of a day jumped as high as their potential created them to jump because he taught them how to do it. And you got to understand, you're either the person that accepts your limits or you're the person in the group of people that have teaching them how to jump again. What are you going to be today? Because what you decide today, not when you walk out of here at the end of the school year, but what you decide today determines what you do tomorrow and who you are tomorrow. And I made that decision in my life. When I was shelved for eight years, and yes, I heard he's never going to go into ministry, he's never going to achieve God's call or anything like that. I had to choose to either believe the lies of the world or I had to believe the story that heaven was telling about me, and I had to help others do the same. My job, my role at River Valley is to find pastors and to find leaders that are accepting those ceilings and reintroducing them to the potential that God has put in their life. And the only person that I can explain this to you in a great way in the Bible is a man named Bartimaeus. You know the story. He was a blind man that Jesus passed by and healed and he could see. But you have to understand, this is one of the only stories in the Bible that Jesus lets humanity shine when he's on the scene. I mean, usually Jesus is like the main character in every story. It's like, Jesus, what crazy thing are you going to do? But literally, he passes by, he says one thing, and he heals. Everything else is done by Bartimaeus. And this is how the story goes. It's in Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. And so they reached Jericho, and later, as Jesus and his disciples left town, a great crowd was following, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road as Jesus was going by. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, some of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the the blind man and said, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak. Don't take your eyes off of that. He threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Teacher, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has healed you, and instantly the blind man could see. Now, this story is significant because in light of his condition and in light of the face of the crowds trying to hush him and keep him quiet, and in spite of his social status, Bartimaeus broke rank. He broke the barrier between the natural and supernatural and allowed that potential to drive him rather than the fake news that he's hearing from the rest of the world around him. And Jesus steps up to Bartimaeus and he asks him one question, what do you want me to do for you? And every time I stand in the presence of God, and every time you stand in the presence of God, Jesus stands in your face and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And what's your reply? Do you reply? Or do you say, Jesus, you know, you have one shot. Bartimaeus had one shot. What do you want me to do for you? So what are you going to say? Are you going to, have to ask Jesus for something according to the, what the rest of the world says or about the story that heaven is telling about you? You have one shot. You see, the very first thing that Bartimaeus did when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you is he shattered a ceiling. You have to understand that Bartimaeus, before he got his miracle, was the poster boy for low ceilings. He fell quietly in line with what society said was, was acceptable for someone in his condition, a blind beggar. First of all, he was blind. And in that day, because he was blind, he couldn't work. He had no job, and if you had no job, you had no identity, and if you had no identity, you were an outcast. Strike one. Bartimaeus had no name. Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. What's that guy's name? I don't know. He's Timaeus's kid. Didn't Timaeus die a while ago? Yeah, we just, we just call him Bartimaeus. That's, that's who he is. So number one, he, had, he was blind. Number two, he had no name, and number three, he was a beggar. The Bible focuses really closely in on his cloak. You ever notice that? How when he stands up, he throws his cloak down? You have to understand that in that day, to be a beggar in that world, you had to be somebody that went where it was approved by the government to beg. And you could only sit on certain streets and you had to wear a cloak that the government office gave you. And when you would sit on the curb and you would wear this cloak, people would pass by and the common mantra was, have mercy on me as you jingled your cup. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And so here's Bartimaeus, a nameless, sightless beggar sitting on the side of a road with a government cloak that tells everybody else that it's okay to give to him, saying, have mercy on me. But never too loud, because if you spoke up too loud, you could get your cloak taken away from you, and then you had no means to find food that day. And not only that, but you would get everybody else in trouble that's sitting on the same curb as you, or sitting on the same row, row as you. And so here he is, every single day, giving in to, the, to what society says he has to do in order to make a living. He was a nobody. But how many of you are glad that God deliberately chose the nobodies in this world? 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, Isn't it obvious that God chose men and women and that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? That he chose these nobodies and he ex- to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? Look, God isn't going to use you because you're skilled. He's going to use you because you're available. Period. God's not going to use you because you got skills. He's going to use you because you're available. And if you're not available, it doesn't matter how big of a resume you got. You can't be used by a God if you're not available to him. And this is what Bartimaeus was on that day. He was somebody that fell neatly into what the status quo said until the sound of the Savior fell upon his ears. He's sitting on the edge of the road. He's sitting there as Jesus is coming by, and he's saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me to everybody who's passing by. And then pretty soon they're saying, here comes Jesus, here comes Jesus, and he's heard the stories. So pretty soon he hears Jesus passing by. He's like, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And everybody's like, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Don't raise your voice. Have mercy on me. Be quiet. He's like, no, you be quiet. He takes his cloak. He throws it down because there's no plan B to stepping in front of Jesus. When you step in front of Jesus, you got to leave your cloak of fear and doubt behind. you got to leave what the world said about you behind. And you got to step up in Jesus' face and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. He said, I don't want to be defined by this anymore. He threw his cloak down, the Bible says, and he steps in front of a Savior that could really change his game. And that could really pull that potential out of him. That cloak defined the fake news he was believing about his life and the false narrative and the false story he was telling himself every day. And he said, I could either live here or I could live here. And I'm choosing to step up, get in the face of a savior and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus looks at him square in the eye. And if I could have the worship team come up and he says, this is what I said at the beginning. What do you want me to do for you? If I step into the presence of God and leave the same way I was when I walked in, I forget who my God is. If I beg for crumbs from the bread of life, I forget who my God is. When he has a feast before me every morning and his mercies are new every morning, when he sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and I come in and I leave unchanged, I forget who my God is. If I come into my God's presence with potential still inside of me and I leave with it still inside of me, I forget who my God is. Bartimaeus wasn't having any of that. This nameless, sightless beggar changed the game. And the thing that he did that many of us haven't done or aren't willing to do is he refused to take no for an answer. He kept asking. He kept seeking. He kept knocking. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when the Bible says that, it doesn't say God just wants to hear you ask more because he likes it. Because your knock positions you to receive from God. Sometimes we ask God for the wrong things. Sometimes it's, God, I pray that you give me skills in the pulpit so I can get a job and 100 people will show up. It's a good, good, good thing to ask, but it's the wrong motive. So you keep asking and you keep praying. Jesus, I pray that you equip me to reach the lost. Closer. Jesus, I pray that you equip me to reach the lost so all that people see is you and not me. Boom, now you can receive what I have for you. And Bartimaeus asked, and he asked, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And he didn't get Jesus' attention until that cloak hit the ground. And so you're in this place today, and every one of us are holding a cloak. I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, I don't care what position you have here. We're all holding some kind of a cloak. Some of us might be mailing it in because we've figured out how to fulfill our role at 50% of what God's called us to do. But heaven isn't calling you to the 50%, he's calling you to the 100% you got to die empty and you got to step out and you got to throw that cloak down. Look, you you got to abandon your cloak of fear if you're going to see a breakthrough. So today I'm going to pray and I'm going to say amen and if they want to sing, they can sing. But don't leave this place the same way you were when you walked in. How you want to respond is up to you. But if the cross has a final word, do you know what that final word says about you? Do you know the story that heaven is saying about you? That in heaven, the Bible says that there's a book written about you from before the time you were born, that every one of your days were written in God's book. That in heaven, there's a book with your name on it. And when you accept Jesus, he gives you that book. But how many times through our faith walk have we erased stuff and tore out pages and highlighted stuff and rewritten our story until we're standing before Jesus, not as unbelievers, but believers who've believed a a fake story, saying, God, I don't don't even know where to begin. Today is your day to get that story again and start believing it. So I'm going to say amen. You got about 6 minutes, I know, 11:50. You got about 6 minutes. But don't let 6 minutes define your conversation with heaven. Do what you got to do in this moment. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these students, for this faculty, for the school. And God, we know. We know God that when you give us a process, it's not merely a hoop to jump through, but it's something to be obedient to. God, that you've called us to greater levels and to greater heights. And God, all we do to try to define those greater heights is look at how other people have done it instead of looking at how heaven does it. And God, we need to look at what your story says. we got to grab that book that you wrote about us from before the time we were born, and we got to say, Jesus, tell me that story again. Tell me that story again, because I'm wearing a cloak that's heavy on my shoulders, that's full of the lies of the enemy and the world around me, It's full of the doubt that I've had in myself, is full of my insecurities. And God, if you are in my heart and you live through me and I'm dead to myself, then no cloak can define me so today jesus i pray that you speak to me god that you lay conviction heavy on my heart god that i'm not tied to a schedule but i'm tied to you and i pray god that nobody in this room leaves the same way they were when they walked in but they leave changed that they leave transformed god this front area is open for people that want to seek you the worship team is singing for people who want to enter into worship god don't let us walk out of your presence the same way we were but jesus let us leave changed breaking those ceilings, and stepping into your promise in your name. Amen. Let's do what you got to do.